Okay, we are, we are reading from Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a robber's den. <clears throat> and, the blind, <clears throat> and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they, be, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise for yourself? And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany and he spent the night there. In verse 12, something happened that Jesus did also early on in his ministry. This was actually the second time that he had cleansed the temple in this way. And, you know, I don't know what picture you have of Jesus, but this doesn't fit very well the mental picture that I often have of Jesus, that the way he's going to confront things is to come in and start driving people out, overturning tables and, and, and seats were those who were selling animals. So what was going on? both early on in his ministry when he cleansed it, and now later on in his ministry when he does it again, is that they would sell animals in the temple for sacrifice. It, they were not supposed to sell these animals in the temple. The temple was supposed to be a separate area that was dedicated to prayer and worship. They could have sold the animals outside. Now, people needed animals for the sacrifices. But it had become a big business, and they moved the business right into the temple. And this was actually done by the religious leaders themselves set this up. So if somebody brought an animal for sacrifice, remember the animal had to be a perfect animal. had to be totally unblemished. And so the priests were to inspect all the animals. And so from what I've read about what would go on is that in order to maintain the business, the priests would deem the animals that people brought to, be, to have some blemish and they would say this animal is inappropriate. So the people would be forced to buy from these areas that the priests had set up, new animals. And so they would recycle, then they would take as a trade this blemished animal, and then end up moving that in too and selling that. So it was a big racket was going on. And Jesus drives them out of the temple, and he says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. What I want to discuss this morning is something that underpins a Christian life. Something that underpins a Christian life. And that is a, a life that has a time of prayer to it. If you're an unbeliever, if you've never come to a point of believing, the first thing that must come is a heart that's dedicated to Jesus. A dedication to Christ. That is the first thing that must come. Turn to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, and 
we're going to look at what must come first. So before any of this can be absorbed, a person must come into relationship with Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. You see that the two-step process, that we confess that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead. If you're a Christian and you don't, you haven't gone through both of those phases of confessing Jesus as Lord and believing that He's been risen from the dead, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. You are not a Christian. Maybe a Christian by the world's definition. And the world defines a Christian as a good person. He's a Christian man. He, he has some sort of behavior. But, you know, we have other words that we could use for that, like good. He's a good man. His good behavior. The word Christian actually means something that, that came from Antioch. They were first called Christians in Antioch, and this was in about 40 A.D. They were called Christians, and this meant that they were following the teachings of the, apostle, of the apostles who were also following the teachings of Jesus. So people who followed the teachings. But right here, it talks about what is needed for salvation. It is confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, being willing to confess that, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord, and believing in our heart that He has been raised from the dead. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. The resurrection is purely physical. Physical resurrection. The physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that Jesus, when He rose, and it lists the people that He appeared to. He appeared to Peter, he appeared to the other apostles. He appeared to over 500 brethren at one time. He appeared then to Paul. Jesus appeared physically. He rose physically from the dead. You say, well, how can that happen? For goodness sakes, it's a miracle. It doesn't happen every day. We don't have a whole lot of data points on this one. All right? Jesus rose physically from the dead. So this is a miracle that occurred, but it is critical for salvation. If you've grown up in a Christian home, doesn't make you a Christian. Being born in a garage doesn't make you a car. Being born in a barn doesn't make you a horse. Being born in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. A Christian is one who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and willing to confess that and then believe that God has raised him from the dead. Without that, it talks about this in Romans chapter 6. It says, without that step, you will always be a slave to sin. Always. Without that step, you will always be a slave to sin. As the believers, as believers, we know how hard it is to walk free from sin. As unbelievers, there's no hope. Without Christ, you are a slave to sin. How do I know that? Because it says it in Romans chapter 6. And only we can be freed by coming to Jesus. So, establishing first that one is a believer. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 20, 21. Establishing first that one is a believer. So then for the believers here, for the ones that really believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, and if you don't believe that, you're not a believer. 
you're not a Christian according to the scriptural standards. You may be a wonderful person. In fact, you're probably much nicer than me in many respects. I have no problem seeing unbelievers, a lot of times, nicer people than me. But we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely critical that we believe that. Once that's established, it says, Jesus said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 21, but you're making it a robber's den. The secret to being a successful believer and having a life that is, that, that is in some way has some substantive difference, different from, any, anyone, uh, different from unbelievers, is that you maintain a life where you have a life of prayer, where you have a time that you can get alone with God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that while it was still dark, Jesus would go out while it was still dark to a lonely place and He would pray. That's what He would do. In Isaiah, it tells us more about the life of Jesus. It's describing the Messiah. And it says, the Messiah is speaking. He awakens me. God awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord instructs me. It is God the Father that instructed Jesus. In the mornings, He would awaken Him and instruct Him. This is where we as believers get hold of that secret time. Early on in my Christian walk, while I was still in college, I came to know the Lord at the age of 18. I was a freshman in college. It was November 7th of my freshman year of college. And the young man who had shared Christ with me gave me a little Gideon's Bible, one of those little green Gideon's Bibles. And he said, he said that if you read this every day, you will keep walking with the Lord. And I thought that that's a very simple thing to do. And so I'd wake up in the morning and I'd read a passage and I'd pray. And I started setting my life on having a morning time with the Lord. I think we need to give, our, give God our best time. If you have a terrible time getting your body functioning in the morning, you give God your best time. You give Him your very best. If the evening is the best for you, you give it to Him. But you have got to have a time of prayer. That is the only thing that will make you different. What happens is that, that I would wake up early in the morning and I would pray. I did that all through college. I did it all through graduate school. When I got married, I would still do it. I'd wake up in the morning and pray. My children have seen it modeled in the home. They know that at the bottom of the steps, Dad was always there. He was always there praying. That Before they're waking up, you know, sometimes they get scared or they feel sick in the morning. They knew where to find me. They knew that I would be there. And what it does is it leaves something with them too. This is the thing that makes us different. Jesus says, you've made it a robber's den. He well recognizes that there's all these things that come at us in life. All of these distractions that come at us. You know, it's really hard to even come to my office and talk to me now because I've always got you know, one eye on the computer and one eye in a book and you're trying to talk to me and I'm like... You know, there's many distractions that come at us. And the world is getting more pervasive with this sort of thing. I don't carry a cell phone anymore. I used to. I know how to use one. I keep it in the car. And then when I go to the airport on travel, I take it out of the car and I stick it in my pocket. 
but the, the way that the world comes at us now, it's just all over. Distractions. I am telling you, the secret to the essence of walking as a believer is to have a time every day where you have a time of prayer. Where you have that time of prayer where God begins to speak into your life. It used to be that in the university is the place where people used to ponder and contemplate and think about issues. That happens no more. It happens no more. There's another meeting to attend. There's a hundred more emails you've got to address. There, there's, you've, got to, you've got to go kiss up to this grant agency and, and, and act really nice to the person who holds the purse strings that funds your group. All of these distractions coming in. That, that there is no time to ponder. There is no time to contemplate. It's been pounded out of us and distilled out of us. There's nothing left. Most people have no time to think and reflect. Many times, the, the, the time that I have to reflect on my work is when I'm, I'm on an airplane. You know, and, and, and the distractions are gone, and here I am on an airplane, and I'm able to at least get a few moments to think about how are we going to solve this project, this, this problem in this project. But when it comes time, to reflecting on God and reflecting on where we are in our lives and where we have to go only, only in that morning time, only in that treasured time that you set aside each day will God speak to you. And then there will be some real substantive difference between you and the people around you, between you and the students around you. Many times people will come to me and they'll say, I don't know how you do all that you do. I don't know how you do it. And I'm telling you, the treasure is here. It is here in this portion. It is in having this morning time. I get up very early. Before I wake up my family for, for morning devotions for us as a family, I am awake on my knees with my Bible, reading my Bible in prayer. Somehow we, we, we get this, this feeling, and I was telling the students in the Lord's Supper last week, that we keep pushing people toward the future. You're going to have a job. You're going to have a career. You're going to have a family. And you guys are looking toward the future. It's, you, you know, there's all of this. And somehow I'll be free of myself the way I am. And I'll have a job and I'll have money and I'll have a home and I'll have a future. And, I'll have, and we keep on, without realizing that we have a present and a past that needs to be dealt with as well. Thinking that somehow we're going to free ourselves from the bondage of ourself in the future. But ourself seems to bedevil us at each phase of life. And unless we allow God to begin to speak into our lives and to say, you know, the way you addressed that person today wasn't right. That happened to me this morning. In my morning time, there was a, there was a, a young lady that walked in my office yesterday. Precious young lady. I mean, I don't even know her name. She's in my class, in the class that I teach. But, you know, I don't know all the 50 names of the people there. And I just know, I know kind of where she sits. And she came in with... Two ice scoops, full of ice, come walking into my office on a Saturday morning saying, do you, have a, do you have an ice holder that I can take some ice in? I said, go ask the students in the lab. And uh, I said, isn't there anyone in there? She says, there's no one in there. I said, look, I can't help you, but don't come in my office with chemicals. She said, oh, okay. It wasn't really a chemical, it's just ice, but, you know, it's kind of dripping all over. But anyway, I thought, why didn't I just go and get her an ice bucket? And I really should have taken care of it. And 
When else would God speak to me about my behavior? If not when I come before Him and get on my knees before Him and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, okay, let me remind you of the sin that you committed in not helping that young lady. And in fact, I was convicted about 30 seconds after I sent her out of my office. And I did go into the lab and get a bucket and I was walking up and down the halls of my building looking for her, but she was gone. So, so I really did try, but I'm, I need to go and apologize to her tomorrow or Tuesday when I see her in class. I need to go and do that. God reminds us of ourselves in those times. And unless we open the Word of God and allow Him to speak into our lives, we lose these treasured moments. And we lose the opportunity for God to begin to change our lives. There is so much coming at us. And as students, we think, there's the tendency to think that, oh, when I get done with school, then at least I'll have evenings free. Well, guess what? It's not quite that way. It is nice not having to take exams when you get done. That you don't have. I thank God I don't have to take exams. And I would much rather write an exam than take an exam. Anybody who says it's harder to write an exam is lying. It's much easier to write an exam than take an exam, in my opinion. But to have that time, that treasure time, you know what it will do is it will make you a much better parent. It will make you a much better spouse. And it sets in motion a pattern in your home that others will then begin to follow. That others will then begin to follow. They will see that and they can't go long without it. They can't go long. This is what will change your life. This is what will change the patterns of what you do. David, when David had committed a sin, when he said... He said in 2 Samuel, he sent out uh, uh, um, Joab to number the children of Israel. He said, go and number my people. Go and number them. And then Joab said, why do you want to number them? David wanted to see how strong his armies could really be. Go and number my people, he said. And God was very upset with that. Because before David had depended solely on God, now he was looking to his strength. The interesting thing was, David was an old man by this time. You'd think that after all that David had been through, after all the battles that God had led David through in his 20s, and then the sin event that occurred with he and Bathsheba, and all the torment that he brought upon his life in his 30s and 40s because of that, and his sons killing one another, that by the end of his life, he'd have had that all figured out and he would have been free from sin. But guess what? We are never free from falling into sin. And that's why every day of our life, you need to get, learn to get down on your knees before God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, begin to change my life. And so he goes out and he starts numbering the people and God sends a plague on Israel. And David then goes out and he, he goes to, to buy some land to, to set up an offering. And he no longer says, these are my people. He says, thy people, God. Thy people. And he starts to pray for them. And the man who's going to sell him this land, who, who, who he says, let me buy your land because I see the angel of death coming and let me set up an offering here. The man says, just take it. You can have the land. You're the king. You take it. He says, I will not offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. The land that he bought was 
the Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the very mountain where Isaac was offered up. Mount Moriah is the very mountain that Solomon then built the temple on. Mount Moriah is where the, 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 uh, um, the Dome of the Rock stands today in Israel. That is the mountain that David bought, but he says, I will not offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. This will cost you something. This will cost you to set aside a time. But don't offer up to the Lord that which costs you nothing. It, there is a cost involved. My body in the morning, very often, is just lusting after sleep. Just want so badly to sleep, but I must arise and I must pray. It costs you something. You have to tell people, I can't participate in this thing. I've got to go have my prayer time. It costs you something. Don't offer up to the Lord that which costs you nothing. Learn to turn off your cell phone, turn off the distractions, say, Lord, this is your time in my life to speak to me through the scriptures and in prayer. That is the time that I get on my knees and I pray for my children. As it says in Psalm 112, it says, Bless the Lord. It says, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The children of the upright will be blessed. That is the promise that God gives in Psalm 112. That the children of, of the one who honors his word will be blessed on this earth and they will be mighty on this earth. And I pray for my children. And I, I have their pictures on the wall and I go to those pictures and I say, Lord, I remember, I remember your promise. And I want you to know, I remember your promise that if I read your word and honor it and I delight in your word according to Psalm 112, that you would take my children and you would make them mighty on this earth. That you would so make them mighty on this earth. And I pray for them. And so that when... You know, when my 15-year-old boy does all the things that 15-year-old boys do, I have this trust that he's going to be mighty on this earth, that he's going to come around. And I pray for each one of my children. And I say, Lord, take and use them. Send them anywhere on this earth that you want to send them. It's in this time. It is this time that you will, will make you characteristically different than everyone else around you if you have a time of prayer. If you give God that time of prayer, you will be different. Things happen in that time of prayer. God speaks in that time of prayer. Not every day do I get some great revelation, but He speaks to me very often through the Word of God. This is where the relationship is built. I've heard people say, you know, when I travel, you know, you go to the such and such a city, it's such an oppressive city, it's hard to pray. Or you go to such and such a place in the world, it's such an oppressive country, it's hard to pray. I have traveled all over the world. I've been in the Middle East. I've been in Asia. I've been in Europe. I have never had trouble praying to my God. Never have I had trouble drawing in. As soon as I drop to my knees, I open my Bible as, as if I'm in my own home. God is there with me. I have a relationship with Him. He speaks to me. I speak to Him. God speaks to us through the Scriptures, wherever we are. Not that I don't sense oppression at times, but I've never had trouble drawing through. Never had trouble. In fact, I cast out the oppression. Cast it out. So that I can have this richness of time with my God. You want to be different in your life. Learn to have a time of prayer. Learn to set a time, 
aside a time every day and you will be different. If you do not set aside that time, I guarantee you, you will be very much like all the other people around you who aren't even believers. Because the change comes as we say, Lord, work in my life to change my life. Let me give you an example. Turn to Psalm 103. This is a psalm that that I'm presently memorizing with my boys. And in Psalm 103, you know, the the other night I was having a pity party. And, and, uh, um, you know, some things had happened. I was having a pity party. And then Shireen said, why don't you just go and thank God for all your blessings? I said, if I go and start that, I'm not going to be back for a long, long time. You know, this is the whole thing. This is what she's... You know, you know, so she's just setting me up for this thing. And so I picked up Psalm 103 and I started to go through it. The very portion that I'm memorizing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless, your ho- bless His holy name. And I just got alone and I just started saying, Bless your holy name, O God. Bless your holy name. Then it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. And I started going through and thanking God for all the things that He's done in my life. Man, this list could go on forever. Everything. Thanking Him for my office, for my job, for my students, for my family, and everything He's giving me. And you know what happens? This whole pity party, this whole depression, this whole self-centeredness just begins to go away. It's His treasures who pardons all your iniquities. Man, I got lists of sins that I could just write out for you. Just lists of gross junk in my life, year after year after year. God remembers none of it. It says that as far as the east is from the west, He casts our sins from us. But graciously, He allows us to remember them so we know from where we came. Lest we would be totally intolerable with other people. And I started to go through and think of how many times He has pardoned me. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You know, I just started thinking, God, look at what you've done with me. Look at my health. You've just crowned me with loving kindness and compassion, satisfied my years with good things. I mean, there's people my age, and I look at them and I think, you're about to die. You know, they... they, they walk up the stands at the football game to sit down and they're like, <laughs> you know, I mean, what's with this guy? And I'm thinking, God, you're so good to me. Look at what you've done in my life. You've renewed my youth like the eagle. I'm so thankful to you, God. So thankful. And you just go through it and you get done and you come out and yourself is gone and you're just like rejoicing. God changes attitudes completely in the prayer time. Completely He changes your attitude. You've got a bad attitude? You're, you know, you're there sucking your thumb or pouting like a baby or you, you, you know, snorting and really upset and having some hissy fit? Go. Have a prayer time. Begin to get your nose in God's Word and have God just refresh your life. Spend some time with Jesus and come out looking like Him. 
You come out more like Him. Without this, there will be no substantive change. You want to know the secret to a Christian life. You want to know the secret to getting so much done so that people will look at you and say, I don't know how you do everything. I get emails from all over the world. People saying they don't even know me. They say, I don't know how you do all that you do. You know, they read this thing. They listen to that thing. They see how do you do it all? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is that every morning I wake up very early in the morning and I get down on my knees and I say, God, have mercy on me. Speak to me from your word. And he fills me and I go into my prayer time like I'm a chicken. Like, how am I going to accomplish everything today? I got this and this and this. How am I going to do it? I haven't even prepared for this lecture. It's a Friday lecture. I don't even know what I'm going to say today. And I come out just this absolute roaring lion. Just get out of my way. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I just, I'm ready to go. I am ready to go. You know, I could just come busting into my office. Everything's said. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And God opens doors. He fills in that time. Jesus said, take, take that, that temple. That is to be a house of prayer. Make that a house of prayer. You have that time and God will begin to change you from deep within. Your life will begin to change. Things begin to change from within in that time. In that time. And that's why he said, don't let other things crowd this out. You know, all sorts of things. You, you know, even good things. I see this all the time. Young couples, they get married, they have a baby. All of a sudden, this baby makes it so that their entire spiritual life ceases. It doesn't have to be that way. You can still have your time with God. And, it, you know, this baby keeps them from going to church. Well, why didn't you come to Oh, well, you know, we were carrying the kid out, kid out and he threw up. Well, that's life. I mean, I've had four kids and they threw up all the time. You just kind of smell like throw up all the time. They, but, you know, it's just little kid throw up. It's just milk, you know. It just runs down your back. You just wipe it off. So you have to stain down your back. This happens. This happens. And ladies, if you care a lot about your shirt, then don't have, don't have kids. I mean, this happens. You put a kid over your shoulder, they're going to spit up. But this is life. And you just bring the kid to church anyway. And so you have a little stain down your back. Let people criticize you. For what? For having children? You know, and, and these things need not hinder your life. When you have a time of prayer, you don't give that up. Don't let other things take away from that. Set aside a time of prayer. And I still do that. A habit I started as an undergraduate, I maintain to this day. And that's even I break <clears throat> sometime around midday. And I'll go to the chapel and pray or I'll go for a walk and pray. And I do that even to this day. You know, some of my colleagues say, what, where do I always see you going at lunchtime? I say, I go to the chapel and I pray. You know, one colleague saw me going in the chapel. He says, what are you doing? I said, well, I just want to go and spend some time with the Lord. So, that's good. He says, the only thing that chapel was ever used for is weddings and funerals. Glad to see it's got some other use. You know, and, and so, you know, they'll make comments. But you go and you pray. You set aside time to just reflect on God. Get your mind away from the hurry, uh, the hurry of the world. And you will be different. You will accomplish so much more in your life. I'm telling you, what I'm giving you this day is an absolute treasure. This is gold. This is gold for the future of your Christian walk. You take it, you will accomplish much, you will have a successful family, 
and you will be the envy of many people in what you can accomplish. You don't take this. You let this thing pass away from you. There will be no substantive difference. You know, you can say this is a prophecy. I don't know if it's a prophecy. It's just the truth. You say, how do you know? Because I know. I have seen it again and again. I have seen it. You walk in it, you will be blessed. You reject it, you will go on being cursed along with the world because you will fall into all the disasters that the world falls into. I can be no more explicit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the treasures of the Word of God that Jesus left us with. To have a time of prayer as He would go off to a lonely place and pray early in the morning. Father, I pray for these young people that You just impress upon their hearts to have a dedicated life where they would have a time where they would open up the Scriptures and they would pray. Where they would open up the Word of God and they would seek You through the Scriptures and they would learn to pray. Father, I pray that You speak the truth of God into their lives. Speak the truth of God there. And Father, I pray that through their meditation on the Word of God, You would change their hearts and change their lives and make them different. Father, accomplish much through them, I pray. And I give them to You in the name of Jesus.